0: Welcome back to HR Stew. My name is Holly Nels. And I'm Regina Dyerly. And And this this is HR Stew. Are you an imposter?
1: Just a quick disclaimer, we're going to be using the word imposter syndrome quite a bit throughout the episode, but when we are referencing that, we mean imposter phenomenon. We would like to welcome Deborah Fowler, our compliance and training manager here at VDHR, to the podcast. Welcome, Deborah. Thanks, Shelby. Excited to be here. Struggling with the internal sense you haven't earned what you have achieved and are a fraud is known as imposter syndrome. The condition is so common that it is more aptly called the imposter phenomenon as it is not clinically diagnosed and is majorly widespread. Up to 82% of people face feelings of imposter phenomenon. Some notable figures who have admitted to experiencing the phenomenon include Albert Einstein, Maya Angelou, Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, Ariana Huffington, and many more. To begin the discussion about imposter syndrome, I want to go around and discuss specific instances in which you might have felt underqualified
0: or like an imposter. I think I would like to think that everyone has imposter syndrome at some point in their career when you just graduate from college and you get, you know, with a marketing degree and you finally get, you know, your first marketing job college doesn't fully prepare you for the real world things that come at you for in an HR perspective or in a marketing perspective that hands-on experience. I know when I had just graduated from college and received my first HR job, I was just like what is happening and you have a seat at the table with all of these people and they're asking you your opinions and I was like I remember some of the legislation and you know Title 7, but I didn't you know, have those, that hands-on experience. So when an employee is getting written up and she's, you know, saying, I'm going to bring my husband to this write-up, or I'm going to bring my husband to this termination. I'm like, they didn't prepare me for this in college. I, what am I doing here? Why, you know, what are your thoughts, Deborah? Do you have any experience? I feel like I experience that every day. Um, Somebody tells me, oh yeah, Debra's the expert in
2: this area. I don't feel like the expert. I have to go and read the rules again and make sure I really know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Um, I think I am someone who also wants my work to be 100% perfect. I want to be accurate, factual, give a good answer, a good product, whatever it might be. And I never feel like it's good enough. Other people say, no, it was great. I don't feel that way.
0: What's funny is you are the expert in every (laughs) single area, even if you have to go look it up again. So I'll call Deborah and I'll ask her a question because she is the expert. And I will say, hey, I don't need you to go look this up. I need you to tell me an off-the-cuff response that you have knowledge of so we can, you know, I don't need you to go look it up and send me five articles and take an hour out of your day. Because I know you have so many other things on your plate. (laughs) But I also want you to know... Where I got the information
2: from, so you can do your own research next time. So you feel empowered by the information. So you don't feel like I just pulled
0: it out of thin air. This is true. I would never feel that way about you, Deborah, <laughs> for the record. Um, imposter syndrome is hard. I agree. There are times where I'm, you know, why am I here? Why why do I deserve to be here? I am I the right person to be doing
2: this. Is yeah. someone else more qualified or more experienced or just better?
0: Yeah. Or am I giving the right response? Am I advising correctly? And, you know, the good thing, I I think one of the really, really good things about our team and our HR teams being able to bounce those, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts? Am I going down the right path just to help with that imposter syndrome and help with that? I need to bounce this off of somebody else to make sure I'm not giving the wrong information, which nine times out of 10, we are not, but I like to go to Holly and say, can
2: you confirm my thinking? (laughs) Yes. I would have to 100% agree
1: with you guys, especially as a young professional. Um, I think a lot of the times people in their young twenties, when they're trying to figure things out and they're just getting into their careers can really run into imposter syndrome. Cause you might have the qualifications maybe from a degree or some previous experience, but you definitely don't have as much as maybe somebody else in the field or your colleagues. And I've definitely come to appreciate, even with myself here, being new into HR, having this style of team to like learn and absorb and to bounce ideas off so I can continue to build that experience and knowledge to then hope someday I wouldn't have the imposter syndrome in the back of my head because I've had a well-rounded career in my 20s, but I feel like 20-year-olds definitely in their young careers probably deal with imposter syndrome quite a bit.
0: I don't know that it will ever go away, though. 30s, 40s, 50s, no matter how oh, long. Man. Especially in HR, we are forever evolving, forever. Legislation is forever changing. That's true. There are some days I was like, I have never seen this before, or this is so out of the ordinary for me. And, and is that still imposter syndrome, just because of the changes? And I think that is... People throw a lot of extra detail at us and
2: we have to start pulling out, okay, what is the actual problem here? Not look at all the drama that they've created, all of the extra information they've provided. What is the what is the core issue? So that that could be imposter syndrome because you feel like you're not equipped to answer the question, but really you just have to back up, take a breath, look at it. You know the answer.
0: So Regina, do you have any experience
3: with imposter syndrome? I Actually, there's this, this one situation that I, that I actually have thought about so many times over the years. And I know in a previous podcast, I had talked about how I had gotten laid off a year after September 11th. And a lot of people out of work, the economy was kind of in the tanker. Um, And it took like five and a half months, but I ended up getting a job that was like on my list of dream jobs. There were two financial institutions that in New York at that time, if you worked for either of them, you could work anywhere after that. The vetting process was so extreme that they knew You'd been through the ringer to work there. And I ended up getting a job at one of these institutions. I did not go through the ringer the same way because I came in as a contractor, you know, with the promise that at the end of the year when the budget renewed, that I'd be hired full time. So I didn't go through the 23 interviews or 18 (laughs) interviews that were typical of that day, but still went through a series and it was pretty rigorous. Um, But I was so happy that I got this job and I couldn't believe it, you know, after what seemed to be bad luck. But I'm telling you all this to, to kind of go into the next step because I think my confidence after going through the layoff and being unemployed, you know, for that period of time and just not knowing what was going to happen. I think when I took that job, I did not feel the entire time that I belong there. I still remember that feeling. I just remember it was like the whole 24th floor was all HR and everybody was so impressive and everybody was dressed in the nines and You know, we were having these serious conversations that I've had in my career, (laughs) and I just remember so many times just feeling like I was faking it. It's so hard to put into words because it was more of a feeling. Like, I don't know if anybody would have known that I was feeling that way, but I think the only time that I actually felt like I was myself was when I was working with employees. You know, when I was direct working with employees, and we were going through some pretty hairy stuff. At that time, too, they were outsourcing IT, and so people were losing their jobs, or they were going to work for the outsourcer, and there was just a lot of bad communications, but those things, I felt like I was helpful and I was productive and all those things, but when I was dealing with other members of the HR team or in meetings that were of a higher level, I just remember just how uncomfortable and how uneasy I felt again, the whole time, even when I went to the cafeteria and I was, you know, at lunch with people and even in casual environments, I just remember feeling the whole time that I just, I just didn't belong there.
2: Wow. Was it also a feeling of being intimidated by the other people or just?
3: There was certainly some, there was some impressive people, You know, there was definitely some people that I have interacted in in HR and yeah, there was an intimidation level. Uh, You know, a lot of them had worked there for a really long time. It wasn't a place that people left and uh, there were some careers definitely to aspire to. So maybe that was part of it. And I had worked for much smaller, kind of less structured organizations prior to that. So maybe I was a little out of my depth there because of that. But in general, I think my confidence had taken a hit. My career was very easy up until I got laid off at that point, right? It all had gone very smoothly. I had risen the way that I thought was acceptable for me at at the level I was at. Just that unsureness for that five and a half months of being unemployed and going on interviews and not getting jobs and being number two twice and getting those rejection letters, back in the day when people actually used to do that regularly. I I think I just felt unsure of myself and, you know, like my confidence had taken a hit But I was in an environment that was completely different than anything I'd ever worked with before. And it wasn't a lot of support, you know, even more so because I was a contractor. So I was like in but not in as well, which had a whole different layer. Like you felt like you had to prove yourself. And then they cut my contract short. (laughs) So it was a self-fulfilled prophecy as well, which I think after that, um, you know, definitely took me a little bit to find my way. And then I did. I, do, I think about that time often. And if I had been different, would a different outcome have happened? I do think that if it had worked out, I wouldn't be here today. I'd still probably be in New York, um, not in uh, Colorado, and all the other things. That led me down the path that I'm on right now. So I'm grateful for that anyway. I do think about that time. And it did take me a while, even after that, to unravel that feeling. When I moved out here to Colorado, I had gotten a job at a really large manufacturing company. It was still there a little bit, but not not too long because it was a really collaborative environment. I got in my groove after that. You know, it was all good.
1: Specifically in the interview process, it is difficult for those experiencing a high level of imposter phenomenon to accurately account for their achievements and qualifications for a position. How do you think an HR professional could find ways to combat the feelings of imposter phenomenon to make the hiring process more of an even playing field?
0: I think when you ask someone a question and they're vague or don't give you the exact response that you need, asking them to elaborate, asking them to dive a little deeper. Hey, can you explain, you know, what you're meaning step by step and giving them that, ability to really show you their knowledge.
2: And maybe giving them the opportunity to say that they're nervous or that they're uncomfortable or that they don't know the answer to the question.
3: That might help too. When you notice that they're nervous, just acknowledging. Mm -hmm. I think there's a vibe you could let off. Letting them know. That you are actually okay that they're nervous. Because mm-hmm. I think you're supposed to be nervous. No matter how experienced you are, if you care on any level, you're going to be a little bit nervous for an interview that matters to you if you 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 know if you want it. Some people interview really,
0: really well and do not show nerves, anything. Uh, this is not it's me. Not this me. is not who I am. It's but not me
3: either. Yeah. You know? Uh, so, I don't know. I think that's a really tough question um, because I think... When you don't know somebody, it's really hard to know if they have imposter syndrome.
2: But maybe too, if you're familiar with what they've written in their resume or their cover letter and the the job that you're actually hiring them for, if they're not fully giving you an answer that indicates, are they qualified? Like Holly said, ask them to elaborate or ask them a question about that specific job or skill to give them an opportunity to talk about what they're actually good at instead of, well, I don't know if I'm
0: really qualified for this.
3: Yeah. Uh, You know, we've had interviews. I know I've been on panels with both of you where that has happened
0: would you say it was imposter syndrome or well i how do we know this is yeah, well, very true. i think i'm thinking of a recent example
2: that that happened with yeah. and i don't think that was the reason why we didn't move forward with that candidate they actually had some other responses that didn't work with what we were looking for
3: uh, understood understood but i know that i know at least speaking for myself just, it was like shocking that somebody had the resume that they had and then the responses that we were getting back, which did seem very vague. And they were at a level of their career where the resume made sense, right? It wasn't like it was someone that was probably faking it until you make it. I think this is a tough question because uh, I think you have to hire for personality too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes in the interview process, some people do, and because of their nerves or whatever, sometimes it does get the best of them and they don't represent themselves the best way. I don't know, I think maybe maybe going forward, you know, maybe people should just be cautious about someone that's just a little too good at an interview, yeah. you know? I think I could have been bit by that more than I've been bit by the other side, you know?
2: And try to make the interview process a comfortable experience for yeah. the applicant as much as you can, and let them know, like you said, it's okay to be nervous.
3: Mm-hmm. We have a lot on the line here, too. I'm nervous, too. <laughs> <laughs> we want this to work. Yeah. <laughs>
1: How have you as an interviewee fought against imposter syndrome during the hiring process?
2: Well, I, for one, was feeling as if I weren't qualified for the position that I applied for originally with Vita HR. I came from a very small business. I learned a lot of my HR skills and gained knowledge independently, self-study from... A mentor who didn't have as much to offer as, you know, going to school might might have. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know if I was qualified for anything, but I needed a new job. And the HR took a chance on somebody who maybe wasn't at the same caliber as someone else they could get. You're but so it, it turned out. you <laughs> so <laughs> wrong
3: about that whole interview. Like your perception of the interview is so different than what ours was, which is so interesting for, for this topic.
2: And it didn't you feel know? that way at all. I walked out saying, oh, I didn't get it
0: it's funny because i had the same thought in my interview for this company like oh man i didn't did not get this job and it was a hope and a prayer the one thing i did though mentally i was like i have to prepare prepare for this to sound educated to sound knowledgeable in all things hr so i was studying you know all of these cases. I I mean, stuff that nobody
3: asks (laughs) you.
0: And I am studying all this stuff. I'm like, okay, what questions are going to come up? I need to have a response. What should my response be? I mean, I really, really prepared for this interview more so than I've prepared for anything in my entire life, probably. And even at the end, I was like, I need to have intelligent questions
3: back to this person. Oh, it was, yeah. It was very nerve-wracking. That is really funny because I knew that both of you were getting hired after my initial phone call with you.
2: That's so funny. Can't you tell the applicant that at the time?
3: I know. We're going to uh, hire At that point, there was another layer, though. But no. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> it's a short answer. You know, when I know, when I have a good conversation with somebody and I know that there's alignment, you know, my thing is always like, I got a live one. <laughs> <laughs> But the question is what how do we
2: how do we fight against that? Yeah. I don't know how you fight against it. I think
0: you just push through it. And that's it. You either take a risk or you don't. Do you I, want it? I think it? as the employee one of the ways to fight against it is do your homework. Have a list sure. of what questions you think are going to be asked and prepare for an ineducated response. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a way to try and we fight against it. We talked about this
3: before how, you know, some people that are really good interviewers always have scenarios that they could use, that they're prepared to talk about that you could use for any number of different questions. Mm-hmm. You could re, kind of rephrase it in a certain way. And as long as you're leveraging your experience and it's, it's a real situation, you're not re- misrepresenting anything. You're just prepared. Yeah. Right. So I think that's a great suggestion. Yeah.
2: I agree. How do you support
1: employees
3: who are showing signs of imposter syndrome? I think it's just as simple as what you just said. I think it's to support them. To encourage them to let your direct reports your employees know that they're doing a great job that you're they're appreciated you know that they're seen um that's what everybody wants not just people that might be struggling with this specific situation right i think it's the same and also
2: reminding them the things that they've done that show that they're not unqualified
1: part of the podcast, we go to the online forum called Ask HR, where individuals can write in and get advice from HR professionals. This individual who lives in the state of Colorado titled, I'm being told by my employer that I can't use my accrued 24 hours of paid sick time because I didn't request to use the paid hours 120 hours in advance. Is this legal? I woke up sick yesterday morning and immediately called off because I had COVID-like symptoms. I scheduled an urgent care appointment and it was determined that I don't have COVID, but I will be contagious for several days with a different illness. I acquired a doctor's note as proof. As soon as I got back home from my appointment, I scheduled the next two days off with my accrued paid sick time. Immediately, a notification popped up saying that this was an emergency request since it was within 120 hours of your scheduled work date and time, you will receive an unexcused absence unless you provide appropriate documentation. I then contacted my employer to clarify. I asked them if they needed my note from the doctor to excuse my unexcused absence, to which I was told we don't take doctor's notes. So now, all three days I'm missing are going to be unexcused. This led me to ask my employer, if I'm sick again in the future, is it going to be unexcused unless I request paid sick time five days in advance? To which my employer simply replied, yes. How is anyone supposed to know they're going to be sick five days before they are sick? Am I just supposed to be getting unexcused absences every time I suddenly get sick? This doesn't seem right at all, and I desperately need to get paid for the three days I'm missing. Is this legal?
2: That's a doozy. (laughs) Um, I think there's a few things here that we would need to unpack to answer this question. But this, this is a, a unique situation where the Colorado law is dependent on employees PTO balances or paid sick leave balances or their healthy families and workplaces, public health emergency leave balances. So we don't know their specific situation. But I mean, the first thing off the bat is they had COVID-like symptoms. So we'd have to know, or do they have any public health emergency leave still remaining? If they don't, then they should be able to access their healthy family's paid sick leave. And it sounds like they did for two days, which they had 24 hours available to them. And they're being told this was unexcused. What does that mean? Does an mean there's a disciplinary connotation to that? It
3: seems like that's what he's referring to. And
2: if that's the case, Healthy Families actually doesn't allow employers to retaliate or take any type of disciplinary action against employees for using that leave. The other thing here is they can't actually ask for a doctor's note until after four days. So they're saying, I offered my doctor's note. They're saying they don't take doctor's notes. Well, they don't need it, but they also shouldn't be disciplining the employee. So there's a few things here. Again, this is very employee specific, employer specific, but essentially their question is they need to get paid for their three days. If they have the hours, they should be able to access them. They should get paid and they shouldn't need to provide documentation unless it's more than four days out.
0: And also there what is the verbiage in here. It said um, that it's unexcused because he didn't give five days notice.
2: There's no notice requirement under yeah. healthy families. I mean, as soon as practical is what they say, but... No, you can't predict if you're going to be sick. Even
3: without that legislation, you, you don't know when you're Let's going to be, be sick. Let's be reasonable. I, feel, I read this. <laughs> it sounded like a call center to me. <laughs> 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 call centers are extremely punitive environments. Like, okay, this is an excuse. You're going to get occurrences or whatever. Like, that's just how they operate. Um, so it seemed kind of personal to me. And that's never a good way to run.
2: The law also says that you actually can't deny an employee paid sick leave for not providing notice. So if they're saying they're not getting paid for those days, I think they need to go back to their employer. They can also make a complaint at the state level. I mean, there are avenues for that if they feel like they're not getting
0: paid appropriately and make a wage demand. He said he had COVID symptoms. I, I mean, let's really unpack this. It might even be PHE supplemental pay. If it was, you know, the day he was out, he had COVID symptoms. Yeah. They, they should have a PHE bank um, unless they've already used it. Correct. Correct. And
2: under the new regulations or the new guidance from Department of Labor at the Colorado level, any type of respiratory illness. So it doesn't have to just be COVID.
0: Right. It can be a common cold.
2: And the flu or, yeah, anything. Any type of, yeah. yeah. Do allergies count? Oh,
3: that's tricky. <laughs> that's tricky, Deborah.
0: <laughs> We're going home, Regina. <laughs>
3: Going to bring our episode to a close. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of HR Stew. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. If you have any thoughts about imposter phenomenon or questions you would like to share, message us on Instagram at hr.stew. I'm Regina. And I'm Holly. And we'll see you next time on HR Stew.